Our first-year class, I made a point of saying that your second bell, you're supposed to be in your seats, and they did good for about six months. But now they're kind of getting over it. Praise God. I tell you, this has been good. I really enjoy campus days because I get ministered to. I'm not the one doing all the ministering, and I'm able to sit and receive, and it is just powerful. The praise and worship is great. Man, I enjoy that, and it's just neat to see what God's doing here. People's lives are being changed. Awesome. How many of you, uh, I'm not asking you to, if you raise your hand, that you're making an absolute commitment, but how many of you feel like God is leading you here to come to Bible college? Can I see your hand? <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know what? You need to sign up. You need to sign up while you are in this atmosphere and you're confident that God is speaking to you because when you get away, it's like Pastor Greg was saying this morning, your mind gets to working on you. You get to thinking about all of the things that shouldn't happen. You know, the things that you feel in the first few minutes when God speaks to you, that's God. And then the next three days is your mind trying to figure out how's all this going to happen. And I'm just telling you that you need to respond while God is speaking to you. And registration is just a step that kind of gives you something to anchor yourself to it. If you don't make that step, a lot of people will go back and life will get in the way and you'll let the devil talk you out of it and you don't want to do that. Amen. So anyway, people are still coming in, but Stephen, we need to go ahead and have you up here. This is Stephen Bransford, and let me just say that this man has been awesome in my life. Stephen came and put me on television, and I interviewed a number of people before him, and every one of them says, oh, I know what I'm going to do, and they showed me this, and they basically fit me into their model. And when Stephen, when he came and interviewed with me, he had never heard of me. He says, I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you. He says, give me some of your materials. And he came back in a week, and he had read a book or two and listened to some CDs. And he says, you know, you aren't this fancy person. He says, here's what you want to do. And he built what he could do around me. And Stephen is a master communicator. He helped start PTL in their TV ministry, Bob Tilton, James Robinson. God has used him supernaturally with uh, Billy Graham and a lot of people, and God has just used Stephen miraculously. You know, I couldn't do what I'm doing without him and all of his departments. So this guy is a blessing, and he's going to share some things with you about communication. Media today is going to be a blessing. So this is Stephen Bransford. That's right. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm here to talk about communication, which is what I love. Now, I said amen to everything Greg preached uh, in this previous session. Uh, but when I was a kid, I could remember hearing that sermon and thinking, well, I've got to be one of the dots on the map. I've got to go somewhere and do something. But each of you have to learn and hear the voice of God in your heart calling you to what your gifts and calling are. And when you know that, it is, there's no better place to be. It can be around the world. It can be in any country. It can be here uh, in the communications school, in the communications department. Uh, there is just a lot of communication going on in this ministry, and I want to share that with you. Um, last night, I prepared, um, I prepared an outline for what I wanted to say. And basically, I have a title for this talk, 
It's called You've Got a Story. You have got a story, and it's better than you think. And I thought that was a pretty good talk. Well, at 3 a.m., the Lord said, I want you to go into your garage and pick up a couple of things. And people thought this was junk. They took it off the piano. Actually, this is for later. (laughs) These are a couple of props that I brought out of my garage this morning because there's something I want to share uh, that I hope will be effective for you and help you understand and remember some things. But I'm going to talk to you about storytellers first. That's what I need to do. Uh, I'm going to talk to you that you do have a story, and it is better than you think. And then I'm going to share a story with you on video that will knock your socks off. This is a story about one of you, and it's, it's your story. And I'll prove to you that you have a story. All right, but in the beginning here, I want to talk to you about our storytellers. You know, we say, meet world changers. Well, hello, world changers. That's you. Well, the people who work in communications are a special kind of world changer. Um, and, and who are they? You know, yesterday, uh, you know, everybody calls me a storyteller, and they kind of have this thing about it saying, you know, you can make a story out of anything. That's really not true. I can't make a story out of anything. I can find a story in just about anything. If there's no story there, I have nothing to say. But the fact is, there is a story there. And throughout my career, I've been hired to come alongside people and help them tell their story. And that's a gift. And that's a calling. And it's a great ministry. And I want to encourage some of you to consider it. Uh, I think some of you are called. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you in the third-year media school, also in the second-year class where we talk about ministry, media, and money, and we give you an overview of communication and the power of it. But I want to talk about it today, about what's going on in this room. Uh, Yesterday, though, I was really impressed with the mayor, Mayor Steve Bach. He came and spoke to us at the luncheon. I hope a lot of you were there. The mayor of Colorado Springs didn't come and give us a speech, did he? What did he do? He told a story. He told a story about one of the Christian founders of this city, Myron Stratton. Very interesting story. I think I know why he got elected. He says he's not a politician, but he can tell a story. You know, that story covered a lot of territory and explained a lot of things. He didn't have to put in points and bullet points and and, uh, teach or preach. That story did it for him, and it was very effective. But I want to talk about uh, this event that's happening here right now. There are some firsts going on in this room. Um, First of all, uh, there is a tremendous audience that you don't see who is attending this event as we speak. In fact, more people than you can see in this room are right there. I just pointed to them. Hello. Some of them are in foreign countries. Uh, Some of them are all around the United States. They're tuning in through the live stream that's going out on the website. Now, this event is a first in that uh, Jeff and Autumn, uh, who run the media school, have been helping uh, prepare the promotions for this event. And they're storytellers. And what they decided was they would give this event a little unique look. They came up with a a particular font 
to say campus days that was different than any font we'd ever used before. Well, look on the stage above me here. You see that font, campus days. If you saw it on the website, if you saw it on any of our promotions, if you saw those promotions on television, that is the font we use to, to say, hey, campus days is coming. Well, they designed the stage this way. The colors of these curtains that you see on either side of me is the color scheme they used on all of the brochures, all of the ads, everything that went out. Now, this is what we teach in our communication school, is how to do this, how to brand an event, how to make that event lodge in the minds of people without them even knowing it and not even understanding maybe what they're seeing, but they do respond to it. This event was uh, better attended, and, and it's better attended on the web than any that we've had before. So this has been a successful storytelling uh, uh, part of, uh, of what's going on in this event. Also, uh, we have people on the uh, Karis Bible College staff. Randy Manig uh, Montague, back in the back here, runs the uh, in-house portion of what you're seeing. If you look in the back, for the very first time, we have three cameras. Now, the cameras that you're seeing in this room are being projected onto these two screens on either side. That's our normal uh, look. But there are two other cameras that are giving the people at home an even better look. They're HD, and we are streaming for the first time in HD technology. That was something Jeff wanted to do, and Randy was able to help make that happen. But guess what? It didn't stop there. Uh, Randy needed some help from my television department in order to pull this off. Uh, so a storyteller in my department named Mike Meyer said, hey, we've got a piece of equipment that can make this happen. It's a very expensive piece of equipment the school would not be able to afford. We made it available. It's called a TriCaster. It's in a room back here where the stream that's coming out of this room is going home to the homes across the world right now, and it's being recorded for later uh, in HD uh, because of that switcher. Well, where did that switcher come from? There are some storytellers that aren't in this room. Some of them may be in the audience, some of them not. There's a special group of partners of Andrew Womack Ministries who donated the money that made us possible to buy that piece of equipment. They're storytellers. They're telling a story. They're carrying the gospel. They're fulfilling the calling God has put on their life as much as we are. I think that's important. They're our partners. So we have the first HD stream going out and the first multicam use of a switcher that allows us to do these various uh, displays to different audiences at the same time. There's another storyteller going around here named Karen Bean, who is my assistant uh, in the department, television department. I don't see Karen in the room right now, but you'll find her in the hallways. Uh, she's recording stories with, with a camera, your stories. And there are some fantastic stories coming out of this group that I'm looking at right here. She's been telling me all morning about that. But what is it about a storyteller? What makes a storyteller a storyteller uh, in the communications world? Uh, people say that I can uh, tell the story about anything. Um, what makes that true is that I sometimes see things other people miss. A story isn't interesting if it's obvious. A story becomes interesting when you see and you're able to point out something other people might miss. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, a true story, to get started here. Uh, this summer, I came home from work, 
And at my house, uh, we believe appreciation is a form of worship. For example, if I appreciate my wife's cooking, if I tell her so, I consider that a form of worship to God. I really do. I'm saying, I appreciate what the Creator put in you and what you put into this meal. I, I do believe in that. And so we celebrate all kinds of things around our house. I came home, and there was all kinds of excitement in the house. We're raising a 16-year-old. Uh, we, we've had him since he was three. Grandson, we adopted him. He came home before I got there, and I was told about it after I got there. And they said he, he came down the street, and a butterfly flew out of the sky a beautiful butterfly, and lit on his shoulder, and it stayed there. And he looks at it, and he walks all the way home several blocks into the house, comes to the door, opens the door, walks inside. He gets inside and calls my wife, Megan, says, come look at this. She came all excited. They watched the butterfly, took pictures of the butterfly on his shoulders, Uh, Finally, he goes out in the backyard, and the butterfly sees a blossom, and it goes over to the blossom, and it lands there. That's about when I get home. I'm a storyteller. I'm an appreciator. I wanted to share this wonderful thing, so I go out into the backyard with my camera, and I snap this picture that you see on the screen. I'm just blown away by this beautiful thing. Uh, it's a, some kind of a swallowtail butterfly. Can you see the little swallowtails trailing down there? They're kind of hard to see uh, because of the projectors, but we got the lights down trying to help you see that detail. Uh, it's clinging to that blossom. What a beautiful, extravagant expression of God's handiwork. You know, he could have just made it functional. He, he could have, but he made it beautiful at the same time. And there are so many of these butterflies, if you study that field, I'm sure. Uh, But this is the one that paid us a visit last summer. And I thought, what a miracle. I captured the miracle, and I'm sharing it with you now as a storyteller. All right? Now I want to tell you how to kill a miracle. Okay? Here's how you do it. First, you put on this hat. This changes everything. (laughs) You know, I I, I began to imagine when I saw that butterfly, my neighbor across the fence, he's a gardener. This is a gardener's hat, okay? Working out in the sun in the garden. I kind of imagined him coming over and his possible response. And he would come up to this butterfly and he would say, that was no miracle. That butterfly's about to lay eggs. That's why he landed on your son. He's looking for a place to lay eggs. You brought him into the backyard. I see a bunch of little worms. Get the malathion. Get the malathion and let's just take care of that butterfly. That's not a miracle. That's a, that's a bunch of little critters that are going to eat my rhubarb. Really? Spray that thing. There he goes. All right. It's water. I actually came out of the garage with the malathion. That stuff, whoa, that's way too potent. You know, that's how you kill a miracle. You know what's really scary about that? 
It's true. It's really true. That butterfly was laying eggs. And there were caterpillars. But do you know, every one of those caterpillars, eventually, who didn't get hit with the malathion, <laughs> turned into one of those beautiful miracles. That's how you kill a miracle. You look at it as a little worm with tiny legs eating holes in your rhubarb. <laughs> you say, oh, well, I don't do that. I would never do that. Okay, you've got a story and it's better than you think. Um, have, you been, have you been looking at your story in the wrong way? There's a way to look at your story. You know, I really think a lot of you get up in the morning. Every morning, <clears throat> you start your day like this. And you look in the mirror. And you start killing the miracle. And you know what? You're right. There's truth there. It's the half of truth that doesn't matter in the long run. I really think God wants you to appreciate the miracle. Every one of you have a story. Every one of you is a miracle. You know, don't treat the butterfly like a caterpillar on your rhubarb. But we all do at certain times, don't we? This is something we have to work against. Here's what I want to say about your story. Um, you have a story here today because Andrew has a story. March 23rd, 1968. Do you realize without that story, none of you would be in this room? None of us would be here. That stream would not be going out around the world. Without that story of Andrew's transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Now, that transformation story is told in various ways. And you have a transformation going on in your life. If you've received Christ, it's going on. Now, you can hold it back. You can, uh, you can treat it wrongly. You can diminish it. You can uh, not see it. And you cannot have eyes to see it. Jesus told parables for people like that. He said that having eyes to see, they will not see. So that only those who have the eyes to see will see the miracle. Everybody else will see the other side of the truth. And they'll become very practical about how they deal with it. And the magic will go away. And the beauty will go away. And it won't be celebrated. All right. But Andrew didn't do that. He celebrated his story for us, and he told it in a way that helped us gain an understanding of who we are in Christ. And so that's your story. It's about you. It's your testimony. And it's about your life in Christ. I also like to say it's not about you. It's about the finished work of Christ. That's what we were hearing about as well. The finished work of Christ is once-for-all sacrifice, but again, it's a never-ending story because you're being conformed to his image, and that's an ongoing process. You're having your mind renewed, transformed, uh, like a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. 
I will say one thing. I'm going to share with you a wonderful story in about five minutes um, about Karis Bible College caterpillars who became butterflies. And it's a miracle story, and I think you're going to celebrate it. I don't think you're going to spray Malathion on it. Um, But it's a story that they needed help telling, and it wouldn't have been told if it hadn't been the storytellers that we train here in the media school to come alongside them and be able to help them tell this story. Um, So if you have a story, it, it may be that you need someone to help you tell it. And I've talked about that in other times and places as well. But I want to say that your story is better than you think because it is a, tra- a transformation story. You know, I, I've thought about this. Um, what is it that turns caterpillar into a butterfly? Um, do you know he, no caterpillar, to my knowledge, ever became a butterfly uh, through a self-help seminar? But there are a lot of people out there who will take your money trying to tell you that's the truth, and that's the only way. I am not against self-help, self-improvement. I'm not against, you know, doing better and excellence and and fine-tuning your your, uh, skills and abilities. Um, However, it's got to be more than that, or you'll end up counting money like Greg and saying, is that all there is? Um, There has to be more to it than that. And so a transformation is, is necessary. And uh, the way that it happens for a caterpillar is he eats uh, rhubarb until the day that he can't eat anymore. And he spins a little cocoon, and he goes to sleep. And the transformation takes place while he sleeps. He turns from a little worm with tiny legs that eats rhubarb into a beautiful miracle that flies around with incredible color, blessing people like us, trying to tell us that, hey, God loves you. He could have made this ugly. He made it beautiful. He wanted to remind you that his creation is for you and that he is for you. And that caterpillar emerges from that cocoon, dries its wings, and flies. That's going to happen to every one of you at Karis Bible College. You're going to come... For some of you, this will be... Some, some of you are still caterpillars. Still, still uh, you know, inching along. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of you are in your cocoon, and for some of you, this will be your cocoon. You know, that's not bad. Um, I do know of instances of people whose only cocoon is their deathbed. And I, I do believe that they emerge on the other side. Uh, and it's beautiful. But it can happen here. And it can happen to you. You have a story. And it's better than you think. God's going to record it. And someday we'll all share it on the other side. But down here, you can start bearing fruit. You can start doing what Greg was teaching us about in that previous session. All right. Now I'm going to share a story. And then I'll be back with an aftermath, an update on this story as soon as it's done. If my crews will get ready, they're going to roll it in the back room and roll it in this room when I drop my hand. So if everybody is ready to roll, let's dim the lights and let's have a look at this story. (laughs) 
1999, I was actually the mortgage man. I ended up becoming a subprime mortgage team manager. Within a year, I was the leading salesman. I had profit sharing and everything else. In the dot-com boom, I was stoked. I was in a position to make a lot of money. I just knew what money could do. And, and I know Kurt, and I know his, um, his appetite for money, and I know his appetite for excess. In, in 2004, I had this mortgage thing going for me so well. I was making six figures. I ended up going on my own business. And at that point, I just started looking at real estate in a way where I can cash in, make a lot of money. And I had a real estate license, so it was very easy for me to bring the real estate business in and do the mortgage at the same time. I started with my first house. It was a fixer-upper, built it up leveraged it to another house and to another until I had at one point in time close to three million in just real estate that I personally had in my name. At that point I thought I was in the top of the world. And we lived in a very beautiful area in South Florida, Boca Raton, and uh, you know you had to make money to maintain a lifestyle there. We did everything we could to make as much as we can. And because we were making money didn't mean we were saving money. We were just spending what we were making. Uh, I, I noticed that the drinking was starting heavily and I noticed that going out was a lot and it just started taking a toll on the marriage. We worked very hard for the first several years to get a blended family, you know, together. And our kids as far as what they did, they had to move from house to house to house, change friends, change environments. My daughter was now getting into a lot of things that, was, that I could see was going to be progressively a problem. My brother and I were very, very close growing up. He was four years older than me, and he was my everything. He protected me. Um, he was my stability in the house. I could always talk to him about everything. And when they needed us, we were not there. I just kind of lost trust in my parents. She was a straight-A student. Um, she was starting to now skip school and, you know, all those things. I got raped when I was 15, and I, after that, I didn't feel like I had anybody to go to. I couldn't talk to my parents because I didn't want to burden them more than what they were already going through. In 2005, we had a very bad hurricane in, uh, in the South Florida area, and we were out of electricity for several weeks. Um, our business literally shut down overnight. And I became real cocky. And when the business started getting a little squirrely, I, like in Texas Hold'em, went all in. I did all kinds of things that I knew was going to help people make money in this business, and especially myself. In 2006, there was the mortgage implosion. All those subprime mortgage lenders started going belly up. And the economy then crashed. And we were one of the first areas to get hit hard. The banks that I had, nine or 10 banks, they all collapsed and closed their doors the same week. And I had well over a million dollars worth of loans with those banks. All my commissions that I drew from were evaporated. I had no money saved, I had already went through everything, and now I had my parents in the game. So everything that we had had and everything that we had, uh, we were lavishing in literally was just pulled from under us um, overnight. As far as a relationship with God at that time, it just mattered that I had a Sunday service that I can attend in the Catholic faith. 
because I said, look, I'm going to church on Sundays. You guys can either come with me or not come with me. I had completed all my sacramental responsibilities as a Catholic. I had never, you know, committed a mortal sin, you know, so I knew I was okay, and if I did, I'd go say confession. It literally, I turned away from my faith completely. So we decided, let's go to Charlotte. Let's make a fresh start of it. Tried to make it again working as an employee. Having been self-employed, working as an employee was a shot to my ego across the bow, and it was painful. Uh, my husband at that point had gotten a job when we went up there with a mortgage company, and a month later, they, they let him go. At this point, when I started losing that career and had to switch back to an old way of doing things, that was my fallback in the car business, I felt like I was going backwards. Uh, Kurt now was going into even a steeper depression, you know, and drinking, and now he's becoming, he was just becoming verbally um, abusive, and it, 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 it was just not a good situation. He came to my house for Thanksgiving without his wife, you know, and uh, I found that kind of odd, but I know my brother had lost everything. That's when we spent some time together in my garage, him and his two kids, and... Uh, and the Holy Spirit just came over me and I just started to read his mail and tell him exactly what's going on. And I was terrified because he was my older brother. <laughs> and I think that was the beginning of something new for him because he finally, for a moment here, he actually humbled himself and listened to his younger brother, the crazy born again. It hit a soft spot in his heart where uh, he knew that he didn't have any answers and that he had to deal with his character and, and, and God was going to be his only way out. Now I embraced him and sent him off back to the Carolinas to his wife, and uh, and I said, look, you know, if uh, if it's good for you, you can stay here at my house, and I'm just going to minister to you, and we're just going to talk about the word every day because that's what you need. We moved a couple of different times, and the last time that we moved, um, Kurt, I had developed a, a husband for hire business. Several months later, one night, uh, my daughter had uh, basically attacked me. We got into it really bad to the point where. I think I hit her and it just got really rough and I just left. I got a phone call from the lady that Kurt was working at her house. I ended up at a customer's home when I, they offered me a cocktail at the end of the job. I took a cocktail and then she went to get her kids, said you can have some more, I refilled. She called me and said, well, before I call the police, I wanted to call you, but your husband's passed out on my couch. Um, he asked me for one drink and he drank the whole bottle. I didn't know what to do. Do I go after my daughter or do I pick up my husband? I chose my husband. So I went to go pick Kurt up and he was in fact passed out on this woman's couch. So at that point, I, that was my breaking point. I recognized I had to do something. I told him, I said, you need to pack your stuff up uh, and you need to go find whatever you're looking for because it's just not here anymore. I took whatever I could fit in my U-Haul and I drove down to Florida. On my way to my brother's when decided to call him about five hours away and knowing I was going to get there well after midnight and I said I, I just can't do this again. I felt like I was going backwards to childhood and I said I'll call you in the morning. I pulled in a rest stop just to gather my thoughts. The very next morning went to the next exit on the highway, came down the road and lo and behold this storage facility right here was no more than two miles from where I had spent the night and, and it ended up becoming my new home. He um, showed up to rent a unit. Kurt was, um, 
He was, he was separated from his wife and his children. I don't think he knew anybody. The first couple of nights here was like hide and seek, trying to keep from the cameras around here and trying to make it where no one suspected I was living here. I didn't know I was going to end up living here as long as I did. I would be on the phone with my brother as much as I could, just trying to keep some kind of sense of sanity about me. See, I knew what was killing him. Coming out from the same religious background, I know the guilt, condemnation, and shame was just eating him up from the inside out. And he more and more tried to bring encouragement to me to realize that God was the answer. And I didn't understand his God. I only understood my God, which was the Catholic faith. And I went right to the church locally here. This is going to work out. He's going to go to Florida. He's going to go to AA. He's going to go to SA. He's going to go to NA. He's going to go to A. Every A program there was, and he was going to be fine. I had the opportunity to minister the gospel, the truth to him, over and over, all day and all day. My brother hands me a book called Self-Centeredness, The Root of All Grief by Andrew Walmack. I got to a place where I couldn't believe how self-centered I really was and how this book described everything that was going on in my life at that time. I go through this booklet and it leaves me now with more questions than answers. I turn to my brother repeatedly and he guides me to a website, Andrew Walmack Ministries, audio teachings. He points me to a place called There. And I click on that, it was my first teaching, and then I realized where I was in my journey with God. I was there. People cannot live in storage units. It's against the law. I had actually taken on a rainy day. I said, I'm going to do something good for these people. That bathroom needs to be cleaned up, and I redid it. And wouldn't you know that that little deed turned into, he turned around when I was getting ready to get thrown out and said, I'm going to put you in a house. It was so cold that winter that I, I couldn't have him live here. So I offered a house that I had that was vacant. I have a house, a rental apartment on the beach that needs some painting and sprucing up. I'm trying to get a renter in there and it's not renting, it needs to be cleaned up. You go in there and you live for free. And I moved out of this place, went over there and continued my teachings. I made it like a prescription, like a doctor. It is what you need to listen to. I know exactly what you're talking. Go to the website, click over here, go over there. You gotta listen to that. Whose righteousness is it? And I immediately took my iPod and I downloaded all 250 something teachings at that time and just started going over them every single day as I painted and as I did everything I could to, to just keep myself busy and keep myself with some kind of an income. He calls me one day, he goes, okay, Scott, I, I can't take this no more. I come to the revelation that I need to hear this word all day long. I mean, I just need to be on the phone with this. Kurt. He says, I, I want you to do this full time with me. I, he was not able to do that. So I told him, well, if that's the case, I'm going to have to go to the school. So I prepared myself to go to Colorado. So while, he's, while we're talking on the phone, he's clicking through the website, and it said, Jacksonville campus now open. <laughs> I had to rewind. I couldn't believe it. And when that thing hit, it's like, 
The whole world came together in a puzzle, like a gear that just fit perfectly. Now I know why I'm in Jacksonville. And it was the same exit he got off at, you know, months earlier, and God just laid it out for him. The first time I talked to Kurt Barreto, uh, he told me he was separated from his wife, he had gone through a bunch of stuff, and he was just laying it all on the line and just turning it all over to God. Within five minutes, I had everything figured out on how I was going to attend. I would sit in front of the television and listen and absorb this information, and we would break out into little groups and talk, and we would have praise and worship. People would come up to me, lay hands on me. Wow, it was like filled with the Spirit and with God every day. The biggest change that I saw with Kurt is the transition from self-dependence to beginning to depend on God. And, and God was basically telling me, it's me that's doing all these things. Now instead of calling me uh, complaining or calling me with needing help, he's just calling me with testimony after testimony. At one point I had spoken to him and he said, no, I'm, I, I, you know, my brother Scott introduced me to Andrew Womack and I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to really work towards that. And I thought, oh no. No, no, he's not Catholic. My wife would have nothing to do with Jacksonville. So he starts visiting up there on weekends and uh, calling me for advice. This is the way she's behaving. I don't understand this. I said, Kurt, just, just don't preach at her, but just say, this is what I'm doing because the Word says this. And just let that living Word go in her ears, in her ears, because once it's in her head, she's not going to be able to get it out because it's live. <laughs> the only one thing I clung to was that Anything is possible with God and that the Spirit doesn't need my help and that actually I made a pretty bad Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was a much better job at getting my wife's heart where it needed to be so long as I just administered the Word. I actually remember waking up in the middle of the night and writing down a little passage and God said to me these words. He said, you're not going to tell your wife anything you're going to show her by your living example. And I could see a softness. I saw his body physique changed. I saw his eyes were different. I saw his temperament was different. That doesn't happen with AA programs and SA programs. I know that because I've been through so many of them with people. I knew that there had been something that had touched his heart. And I saw that in him and I was happy. My dad basically put up an offer for me to spend my summer in an RV with him. And I get permission to have her come with me for the two weeks that she's here to school. She goes through one night and she's like taken back. She's almost crying. The people at Karis there were awesome. They just all had that same, you know, just sense of peace and contentment with life that I had never seen in anybody. In a two week time period, we had more interaction and more love and affection and, and meaningful dialogue than I've had for our entire 18 years of life. So I had to send her back home. That's what shocked me more than my husband, was that my daughter changed. And we actually could be in the same room together and, and love one another and speak to each other. We didn't have that. My wife still was very reluctant. It was my second year coming up. I had to make a decision. And I said to her, I says, look, I have to stay and do this. This is 
a life or death thing for me. This is more than just Bible college now. My mom decided that she didn't want to be alone. Everything just miraculously came back together. I didn't think you could unscramble eggs, but reality, God can unscramble anything. We made it through the entire second year of school together. He, he was bringing his teachings into the house, which they were biblical teachings, you know, but I was not converting. I am not convert. I am Catholic. I'm going to stay Catholic. I finally graduate. My wife is ecstatic about that. Everyone comes to the graduation. And then there's the summer family Bible conference. God really put it in my heart that I should come to Colorado to school. She got a job transfer from where she was. And I got a promotion right when I got here so I could pay for school. Everything that I prayed for to get my wife to see the Holy Spirit and to take the baptism of the Holy Spirit, came together in one week at the Bible conference. Before we even went to the conference and everything, I said to Kurt, look, do not expect anything. I'm going, I'm going to listen, I'm, I'm supporting you. She had a Bible that she scribbled through nonstop. After the first day, I'm like, there might be something here. I, I, I kind of I like it, you know. I, I love this speaker, and I really like that speaker, and... But, you know, the first two days, the praise and worship went on, and, yeah, I just nodded my head, and there was no way my arms are going up. Well, about the third day, I'm hallelujahing around there, and I'm up on the, you know, in front of the stage, and, you know, I pulled Andrew aside one day, and I said, I just want to thank you, and I got very emotional, you know, and I said to him, I said, I just want to thank you because you saved my life. You saved my marriage. You saved my daughter. I go, and you don't know how many people that you touch. You really don't. And his eyes welled up, my eyes welled up, and we're both like, you know, and he said, well, thank you. I said, no, I, I don't, I'm not looking for your thanks. I just want you to know that there are so many people that you are touching that you'll never know. And that's the gift of God, is to touch those you'll never meet. It was the very last day of the conference. By herself, she stood up walked up, received baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. My mom, being Catholic, has never even heard of that. And We have just been completely blessed in ways beyond understanding. Our marriage has reached a new level, and it's continuing. I just thought, you know what? It, it's just a testimony to the way God works. You know, And it's not that I'm not Catholic anymore, and it's not that you're not who you are anymore. It's just that... There's so much to learn, and there's so much to teach others, and that's where we are today. After the Bible conference, my wife was totally elated, plugged into conferences, and in the secular world, we were a tag team of dealership presentations, and we worked together, and... You know, we're going to have our traveling ministry, and I want so much to go to school. We're, we're taking the God Followers Ministries Com to the level where we'll be installing discipleship evangelism, the need for evangelism, everything to do with bringing God's word, the true gospel, to where people can get an, enough information to become deeply rooted with the word and bear much fruit. I know there's a lot of people that together my husband and I can touch, you know, to make a difference. From a Florida mansion, 
to a storage unit, from a beach house to a motor home. Kurt Barreto learned that no matter where he found himself, God stood at the door of his heart, knocking. Now that he's opened that door through Andrew Womack Ministries and Karis Bible College, the entire Barreto family is enjoying a feast of blessing and abundance. Change your life. Change the world. You've got a story, and it's better than you think. I love that story. And is Sean Mitchell in the room, another storyteller in my television department? Over here on this camera, Sean uh, did that story on the Barrettos. And, uh, man, we spent many a time in the room editing those pieces together, what to leave in, what to leave out. But here, I got a postscript for you that's just awesome. This, this, let me read this. Uh, Kurt Barreto is the assistant director of the Tampa Bay Karis Bible College. His son and his wife, Lisa, are both students there. His daughter, Nicole, is a night student here in Colorado Springs. She will graduate in May. She must be a chip off of the old block because she's a personal banker down here at Wells Fargo a few blocks away. The Barreto family, what a story, what a transformation. Uh, Caterpillar to butterfly. And it wasn't a self-help job, was it? It was the power of the Holy Spirit making that change. And it was the power of a story that started, you know, March 23rd, 1968. You know, there's another part of this story that you should know. Um, that's the Dan and Winter story. And Andrew, I think you can tell that better than me. So I'm going to turn this over to you. Well, Dan and Winter, he came to our Bible college. I don't remember the exact dates, but it had to be at least 10 years ago. And he came without his wife. His wife wasn't in agreement. He had had a ministry where he had a surfer ministry in, Cal- in uh, Florida. And they had over 400 people coming on a regular basis. And she felt that they shouldn't leave. But Dannon came. And anyway, uh, she was planning on following later, but it didn't work. And anyway, Amanda wound up uh, basically leaving him. And they were separated. It was a bad situation. I don't know all of the details of this. But anyway, Dan, in about midway through the first year, says, I've got to go back and win my wife. And he says, I will be back to school. And I said, well, I've heard that before. But did you know he went back? And I think he spent a couple of years, and he loved his wife and won Amanda back. They both came back to school. They graduated from school, both of them, and they went back and opened up this Jacksonville school. Now Amanda is just really excited. She's the administrator of the school, and they are the ones that reached out to Kurt and Lisa and made this tremendous transformation. And again, there's just everybody's got a story. This is powerful what Stephen, Stephen said. And, you know, I had met Kurt and Lisa 
But I didn't get this until Stephen and his department told this story. When I prayed for Nikki Oshinsky, I was there. I saw her get up and walk. But I didn't know what happened until Stephen went and did this interview. And when I saw Lisa's story, I just sat and cried. I mean, not Lisa, but Nikki's story. I just sat and cried because I didn't realize the miracle until Stephen told it. You know, Stephen's dad is a preacher, and he's a great man of God. I've met him. I, I love this guy. He's a great guy. And he always wanted Stephen to be a preacher. Stephen went to Bible school, and I think his dad was a little disappointed that Stephen's not a preacher. But you know what? I can't do what I'm doing without Stephen. And this is one of the things we try and get across, that not everybody's going to be behind the pulpit. Stephen isn't behind the pulpit very often. But you know what? He is reaching 3.2 billion people per day with the gospel all around the world through our television program. And, you know, this campus days, I don't even know if I ever officially announced it or promoted it. It's my television department that made the ads, that did all of these things, that presented all of these things, and that drew you here. It's a combination of things, and every one of us have a story to tell. Every one of us have a part to play in the body of Christ, and we just want to help you like Stephen so um, skillfully said. We want to help you get from the caterpillar stage into the butterfly stage. Every one of you have supernatural potential. You just need some help developing it, and God has brought together, I believe, some of the best people on the planet to be able to accomplish this. And so if God is speaking to you about coming here, you need to follow through with it. I tell you what, it'll change your life. Amen? Isn't that awesome? All right, we're going to take a 10-minute break, and then we'll come back, and I'm going to share the word. You're dismissed. <laughs>